0: We all, all right, number 475 is where we'll start, we're good, all right, cam 1's running, audio sounds okay, Jonathan, we good, okay. Got to get our live stream going back there for people that are not here yet today. And uh, good to see it. Boy, we've got a good number of folks here today and uh, slowly getting back to where we need to be. Amen. And I'll tell you, it's difficult preaching to just a handful of people every once in a while or just a camera sometimes. And uh, certainly appreciate you being here. And I enjoy the fellowship. It's, boy, it's just different. When people are here, uh, it's exciting. We thank the Lord for it. And uh, anyway, we're glad to have you here and uh, certainly a joy to be in the service today. Let's take our songbooks, number 475. 475, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. I'm sorry, Redeemed, yes, uh, uh, by Fanny Crosby. And uh, we'll sing all four verses. You can remain seated. How about that? We'll let you all stay seated today. And uh, we'll sing number 475. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and for... I want us to think about that second verse. man. We're going to come out and sing it again. Because I, I think some of us, when we sing, we've got to tell our faces to look, look like we're really understanding what we're singing. But think about this. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. Think about this phrase. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me to continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed. Boy, I'll tell you, that will make a Baptist shout right there. And uh, I, when we sing these songs, I love old hymns when we sing them, boy, I think we ought to be paying attention to what we're singing. And let it stir our hearts and let God prepare us for the preaching of His Word. And uh, let's sing that second verse again. I want us to think about that and uh, just dwell on that a little bit this morning, shall we? Let's sing it again. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed. I know I shall see in His beauty the King in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps, And giveth me songs in the night, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. Amen. Boy, what a song. Isn't that good? And I'll tell you, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And uh, boy, we ought to be telling people everywhere we go. Uh, I was, years ago, I was sitting in an apartment with a very dear friend of mine, Brother Wayne Korfman, And uh, several years before he had lost his wife, uh, they were up in years, Brother Wayne's in his, uh, I think, mid to late 80s now. And uh, we were sitting there one night, I'd gone over to try to encourage him, he was in an apartment all by himself. And we got talking about Miss Catherine, and then we got talking about the Lord, and we got so excited talking about the Lord and he teared up and he stutters a lot when he gets excited about something. And he said, you, you, you know what, Brother Greg? He said, we're never embarrassed to talk talk about the ones we love. And I sat there and tears began to come down my face. And I thought of how many times in my life I had been embarrassed or ashamed to speak up about the one that I love. And uh, boy, he... uh He taught me something that night, and I'm so grateful. Aren't you glad for godly people sometimes in your life that just encourage you along the way? But boy, what a statement. We're never embarrassed to talk about the ones we love. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What a thought. Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. We'll ask for the Lord's blessing this morning. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your blessings to us. Lord, we do love you this morning. And we pray that as days go by, that every day we'll love you more. That our hearts will be drawn closer to you. That we'll be more of what we ought to be. Lord, may we, may we tune our hearts and our ears to the leading of your Holy Spirit in our lives. As we read your word and as we allow it to do its work in our hearts, I pray that you would help us to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Lord, forgive us in the areas we fail. We do pray that you would help your Holy Spirit and allow him to convict our hearts. Help us to know how best to respond to that, that we'll get those things right. And so, Father, we do pray that you're blessed throughout this day. Lord, so already, so much we have enjoyed the time around your people. We've enjoyed the time around your word, and we pray that you'll continue to bless and use it. And Lord, may you show us some things from your word today that will be a help to us. That we would be already yielded and submitted to it at the onset of this service. That we will not just hear it and not just listen to it, but that we will take heed to it. Put it into practice. And Lord, I pray that you'll use it in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take our songbooks again. Number 477, if you will. 477. I love this song. You hear, as I spend in vanity and pride, caring not, my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary. I'm going to share something with you I don't share very often, but I've shared it a few times. I grew up in a pastor's home, and uh, it's easy when you grow up in a pastor's home, you hear these evangelists come in and preach in the pulpit that talk about their life and how wicked and ungodly they were before God saved them. And I'll be honest with you, as a young person, I sat in my dad's home thinking, man, I've never done any of that. And the salvation that I had, that God had given me, was not as precious to me because I had sat there and thought, boy, God didn't have to do a whole lot to save me, is what I thought. And uh, it dawned on me one day as I was sitting there that if I had been the only one that Jesus had to die for, he would have had to pay the same price. And while maybe I hadn't had all the the depravity in my life that some people had had, God had to reach just as low to get me as he did anyone else. And I'm thankful that on Calvary he loved us so much. I'm thankful that he reached down into that, the psalmist said, that miry clay and set my feet on a solid rock. Well, what a thought. Let's sing 477. We'll sing all four verses this morning. Years I spent in vanity and pride at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride Caring not my Lord was crucified Knowing not it was for me He died On Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Isn't that good? Think about this. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Till my guilty soul, imploring, turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own Him as my King. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, that grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty. At Calvary. Amen. Then number 483, if you will. Number 483. Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. We'll sing all four verses again. Number 483. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its word. It sounds like music in my ear, the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of His precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. It tells me what my Father hath in store for every day. And though I tread a darksome path, yield sunshine all the way. Oh, how I love Jesus! Oh, how I love Jesus! Oh, how I love Jesus! Because He first loved me. It tells of one whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe, who in each sorrow bears a part. Oh, how I love Jesus! Oh, how I love Jesus! Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Amen. Thank you for singing this morning. I'm thankful we have a Savior, the Bible says, who is not untouched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows in every point what we go through, and He empathizes with us. He knows our heartache. He knows our sorrows. He's felt them, and He understands them. And I don't know about you all, but I'm glad we have a Savior that knows what we go through. And... Uh, well, what a great, great joy to know Him this morning. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. <clears throat> and uh, pray that God will bless in the next uh, week or so here as we get things ramped back up and getting back uh, hopefully into some semblance of normal. And uh, I was talking with someone the other day, the the, the problem somewhat with, Having some weeks away from the church and live streaming is people get to sit in their recliners at home and watch, and they get comfortable with that. But it's different. It's just different. And I want to encourage you, if you're uh, listening by live stream and you're able to come, uh, boy, it's just different when you're here. And um, I want to encourage you to come out and be a part of the services. And it's been a great joy to me in my heart to see uh, folks back again, and I miss it. Uh, you don't mit, realize how much you miss it until you get to a place where you don't have it anymore and uh, have enjoyed the fellowship. 1 uh, Corinthians chapter number 16, if you will. We're going to read one verse of Scripture, in verse number 9. And Paul writes here, he says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Father, we pray that you'll bless the service and as we look into your word that we will go ahead and make our choice that if you'll show us your truth, we will walk in it, that we will go ahead and make that decision. I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive and reliant and dependent upon your Holy Spirit guiding us in this truth and bringing it to light in our hearts and I pray that you would help us to put it into practice that we would not be uh, a forgetful hearer, but one that is a doer of your word. And so, Father, we ask for the next few moments that you would help us to lay aside any distractions and burdens and maybe cares that we walked in here with, things that would cause our hearts to be distracted from your word and help us to put them at your feet for a few moments and allow us to put our hearts and our minds wholly upon your word. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct and enable and strengthen us. Lord, I need your help this morning. And those that are listening, we need your help. We're very needy people. We ask that you would bless in a very special way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul has uh, been laboring and working and uh, has been in Macedonia. He's been in the city of Ephesus for A period of time. In fact, um, we're going to take a few moments in a few moments here, take a look at some of the time that he spent uh, in Ephesus. And uh, he was getting ready uh, to leave Ephesus. In fact, if you read verse verse number seven or seven and eight of where we just read, for I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost and this is what he makes the statement about is his time that is spent in Ephesus and he says for a great door and effectual is opened unto me and there are many adversaries and i i thought of that verse uh, the last several weeks i've uh, as we begin to uh, go to live stream and and having to not have as many people in the auditorium uh, it was interesting to me to see how the number of people that were viewing the services, especially in the first few weeks of the coronavirus, were well in excess of the number of people that usually attend our church. Uh, we were seeing numbers of you know 150, 200, sometimes uh, over 300 people that would view uh, a service, and I thought, boy, you know, our, our church we run 45 or so, 50. I began to think on that over the few weeks, and I thought, you know, as bad as this has been, the experience of having to be quarantined and, and uh, the, the illnesses, and certainly I'm not trying to detract from uh, those that have lost loved ones through this particular uh, pandemic, and certainly my heart goes out to them, but there, I wonder uh, often if there has not been some spiritual good that has come from it, as there have been a number of people that I've even talked to that have contacted me and said, Pastor, I've really kind of been not as active in the church. I've not been as involved as I should be. I've had people call and say, I'm starting to read my Bible again regular. And uh, this has been a a time where it seems, at least, that uh, God has maybe for however brief a period of time allowed the hearts of men to uh, be free from the distractions of life. Can we put it that way? Long enough... For Him to work in hearts. And I often wonder how, all, how we are so busy, it seems like, in life that we miss so much of what God has for us. I firmly believe when we get to heaven, and the Bible speaks about the fact that He shall wipe away all tears from our eyes, I think that a large number of those tears are going to be tears of regret and remorse as we see what God wanted to do and opportunities that He brought our way that we were either oblivious to or we just didn't take the time for. Paul is at Ephesus. His desire and his longing is to come to the church at Corinth and to spend time with them. He's longing to, uh, uh, to travel. And, uh, but he says, I'm going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. And the reason that he gives is, he says, for a great door and effectual, is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. I think that we're living in a time period that perhaps God has given us a door of opportunity to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are hearts today that are more sensitive to the things of the Lord than there were four weeks ago or five weeks ago. We, we, I believe, personally, are living in the very last of the last days. I believe that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is certainly imminent, as we've always believed, but I believe it's also very short, that it will be coming in the very, very near future. You see, Brother Greg, that's people have thought that since the apostles, and that's fine. One thing I know for certain is that we're a lot closer today than they were back in the day of the apostles. Amen? And while He may not even come in my lifetime, that certainly is a possibility. I believe that He could come at any moment, and I'm looking forward to that day. With that in mind, it causes me to ask this question. Am I, am I being sensitive now, today, to the opportunities that God is bringing into my life? There is a great work to be done, is there not? The, even Jesus in His earthly ministry and teaching His disciples said, Say not ye there yet four months to harvest. He said, Lift up your eyes, for they are white al- under the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. There has been a need, a great work to be done. In fact, so much so that the Bible says that uh, the laborers are few. And even Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers. And we live in a day that for 2,000 years really, uh, there has been a shortage, if you will, uh, of of the, 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 the workers that are needed to complete the work that God has given us to do. And it has not been because God has not commissioned us and it has not been because God has not given the instruction to enough Christians to fulfill the Great Commission. The truth is it's been because we as God's people many times do not see the opportunities that God brings our way. We oftentimes pass right by them and not even give it a second thought. You say, how does that happen? (laughs) Because we get busy with life. Paul said this, No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. How often we seem to get entangled and ensnared with just the affairs of life, just the day-to-day living, isn't it? We become so distracted that we do not hear the, the leading. We do not understand the leading of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. As we go to His Word and we see Him, we don't, we don't always look for the things. We go and we, we start our stopwatch to read our Bible reading for the day. And when the time's up, we say, Okay, got that one done for another day, and I can go about my day now. Instead of lingering in God's presence, in God's Word, and allowing it to work in our hearts, and we miss opportunity Paul says this, and I want us to look at a few things here regarding the things that Paul says in this particular verse. He says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. Can I tell you this this morning? Every work that God commissions you and I to do is always a great work. I believe one of the reasons that we do not involve ourselves as much as we should, we do not dedicate ourselves, we do not commit ourselves and 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 bring our bodies, if you will, into subjection to do the work of God, the reason that we do not follow after with all of our hearts, pursuing, running the course and doing what God has laid before us to do is because oftentimes we minimize the importance of God's work. We don't realize that this is a great work. We get an opportunity. You know, God could have used anything that He created to accomplish His work. He really could have. But He chose you and I. He's given you and I the opportunity to do His work. And, and one of the things that we oftentimes uh, fail in is that we neglect to understand the importance or the magnitude. Or, or Think about this. When a person gets saved, let, let, me, let me back up a little bit more. Let's make it a little more direct. When you got saved, did God do a miracle in your life? Was it a supernatural miracle? Was it a miracle of transformation? Was it a great miracle? You know, I love, I love in the book of Matthew, chapter number 9, when Jesus healed, healed the paralytic man. You remember that story? In fact, just take a moment. Hold your place here. We're going to come back here, but let's look at that real quick, if you will. Matthew chapter number nine. Let's—I I love this. Matthew chapter number nine. And uh, let's see if we can find it here. Uh, yeah, maybe I've got the wrong chapter here. If I got the right chapter, where am I at? Uh, let's see here. Okay, uh, there we go. Verse number one. I'm sorry, I was in the wrong chapter. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Now notice this in verse number 2. And behold, they came to, there came to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Notice that. That's very important. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts... And by the way, Jesus always knows our thoughts. Amen. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And he arose and departed to his house. If we're not careful, when we read Matthew chapter 9, we will look at that and say the great miracle is God healed the man that was sick of the palsy. But that was not the great miracle of Matthew 9. The great miracle of Matthew chapter 9 was that He forgave the man his sins. I am almost convinced in the reading of that, this is my opinion for a moment, But the way that that passage reads, it almost sounds like Jesus was going to forgive the man his sins and go on. But parenthetically, it's put in Scripture and says, That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sake of the palsy, arise. It was only for the sake of those that were unbelieving. But the great miracle was that he got saved. Can I tell you this? The work of God is the greatest work in all the world. It's the only work where you and I get to have a part in a supernatural, miracle-working act of God. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to bring a soul to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and then to watch as they put their faith in Him and He transforms them from the inside out. What an amazing work. Paul gave his life Paul was a man who was willing to suffer shipwreck and to suffer the cold and to suffer uh, being persecuted and stoned and and beaten. He was willing to do all of that because he recognized the greatness of the work that he was involved in. And we live in a day where I think it would be wonderful if God's people would say, boy, if it ever came to it, if persecution ever came to the United States of America, I would be willing to be beaten I would be willing to suffer the cold. I would be willing to suffer hunger and pain and persecution in order to propagate the gospel. Can I tell you this? We've not even been asked to do that yet. And we're not as faithful as we should be to it. Because we don't recognize the greatness of the work that God, notice this, has given us the privilege to do. I find so often people look at their service to God as simply obedience to a command. I'm thankful and I think we ought to obey what God has given us to do. If we can't do it any other way, we ought to obey. But can I tell you this? Isn't it so much more fun and so much nicer and so much more reward from it when we don't do it because we have to, but we begin to do it because we get to? In fact, in Ephesians chapter number 6, as, as Jesus was speaking to parents and children the relationship they have, He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He said, there's, there's no reward given for obedience. But then He goes on to say, honor thy father and mother, that your days may be long on the earth. And He talks about the reward that comes from the honoring, not the obedience. In Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 1, He says, be ye followers of Christ as dear children. You and I are to be able to be obedient to God if we can't do anything else. But oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we would be doing the things that God has given us to do simply because we love Him. Oh, how much more fun that is, isn't it? How much more rewarding that is. How much more peaceful that is. And can I tell you this? I believe God is enabling more and more people that love Him to accomplish more and to bear more fruit than those that do it simply out of obligation. Simply out of, boy, i got to go do this today. When I was a kid, my mom and dad told me to take the trash out. There were a couple things I did not like to do. I hated taking the trash out, and I hated washing dishes. I had a sister, an older sister in the house. There was no reason she couldn't wash dishes. But they made me wash dishes, and I hated that. And I'll tell you what, uh, I found this to be true in my life with, with the relationship to my parents. When I grumbled and complained and frowned and stomped my feet and had an attitude, first of all, Dad would whip the snot out of me sometimes. You you don't know what a glorious childhood is until you get a whipping so much the snot comes out. And I'm telling you, that's the good kind of raisin. uh, But not only did they do that, but but there was something I found that they would not do as much for me later on if all I did all the time was gripe and complain and, and, and give a hard time about what I was asked to do. But I found when I began to do it with joy and with gladness in my heart, when I was no longer that burden to my, my parents, and I, they were no longer at a heartache over my response to them, when they realized that they had my heart, boy, there was a gloriousness there with my relationship with my mom and dad. Can I tell you this, that while we certainly ought to be obedient to Christ, if there is nothing else we can rely on, it would be so much greater if you and I could serve out of a heart of love. To be able to say, Lord, I don't have to go out and do your work. I get to go out and do your work. Oh, what a joy. What a joy to my heart. Paul understood this. Paul knew that the work of God was so great that he was willing to go through the things that we look back in his life and say, boy, I don't know if I would have had enough strength of character to go through what Paul did. I don't know that I could handle being stoned. I don't know that I could handle uh, being shipwrecked. I don't know if I could handle being cold and hungry and beaten and thrown in prison. Spoken even of. Some of us get our feelings hurt and quit serving God just simply because of what somebody said about us. Because we don't recognize the greatness of God's work. Paul said this, for a great door. And then I want you to notice this. He says this door is not only great, but this door is an effectual door. An effectual door. I looked this word up in the Webster's 1828 dictionary. I wanted, we, we all get the sense of what an effectual door is. I wanted to know what, is, what does that word mean? I mean just get down gritty, nitty-gritty of it. And this is what Webster's eighteen twenty-eight dictionary said about the word effectual. It says having adequate force or power. Having adequate force or Or power. Look with me, hold your place here. Look with me, because we're going to see the the Bible define this too. All right. I love it when the Bible defines it, don't you? Look with me in Ephesians chapter number three. Ephesians chapter number three. And verse number seven. Paul again was writing here, and he says, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Isn't that good? Don't you like that? Not only was this a great work to be done, but here's the thing that you and I get from God. We get the assistance to do His work. We get the assistance of His power. Not only is this door a great door, but it's a door that is given God's power to accomplish. This effectual work. It's a powerful work. Can I tell you this? My Bible says that His Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The idea that his word will never return void. He's he's elevated, he's magnified, the Bible says his word above his name. And you and I have the great privilege to take this book and share it with the world that needs to hear it. Not only is it a great work, but it is an effectual work. It's a work that it's a work that has God's power upon it. And then I want you to notice this, as Paul was willing to endure the things that he endured. Because he understood that it was a great work. He understood that he had God's power to do and accomplish that work. But I want you to notice the next thing that he says here in verse number 9. And there are many adversaries. Can I tell you this? If Paul had not recognized that it was a great work, and if Paul had not recognized that it was an effectual door, when the adversaries came, I believe Paul would have given up. Why, why go through the hardship? Why go through the turmoil? Why go through the persecution if the work is just mediocre? If the work is really not all that important, why would we suffer the persecution? Why would we go through the adversaries? Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of uh, Acts chapter number 19, if you will. We're going to take a look at the time that Paul is speaking about here. Acts chapter number 19. <clears throat> As he's in Ephesus, in the earlier part of this, uh, he talks a little bit about um, coming into Ephesus and uh, meeting some disciples. In fact, he meets 12 of them, and uh, he baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, then we get down to verse number 7. Uh, let's go to verse number 8, I'm sorry. And so he's in, he's in Ephesus. Now, understand this, that at this time, Ephesus was a city that was wholly given to idolatry. They were a very wicked, wicked city. They, they worshipped the god Diane. Uh, Diana, and uh, were very, very steeped in the occult and in spiritualism and uh, conjuring spirits and that sort of thing. A wicked, ungodly city. And it says here in verse number 8, "...and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space Notice this of three months." So this is not just something that Paul was persecuted for a day and it was over. For three months he is laboring and, 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 and basically, if you will, going to war spiritually... In the synagogues, for three months he's there, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Could we say that Paul had an open door and an effectual one there? For two years that all of Asia had heard, both of the Jews and the Greeks? What an effective ministry. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body uh, were brought under the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And again, these are referring to apostolic gifts that are no longer in existence today, but they were in that time, to validate the message that these men were preaching. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one uh, Sceva, uh, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was uh, was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So here's a group of people who thought, you know, we've seen Paul cast out devils. We're going to try it. They try it, and this demon, uh, this uh, demoniac jumps on them, overcomes them. And because they don't have God's power at this point, the way that Paul had it on his life, Notice verse 17, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them, found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So we get a little bit of a view of the wickedness of the city of Ephesus. Are we all on the same page here? They do conjurings, they, they, are, they are into the occult, they're into demon worship, all of that. Now notice what it says here in verse number 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. He wants to be around this area of Ephesus. And at the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen whom he had called together with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So, by the way, Paul should have said that, Amen. So they, uh, so that they not, uh, that, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught. But also that the temple of this great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth, he said. And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, notice this, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. Now, if you read on down there, we're not going to take time to read all of it, but you can read it this afternoon if you'd like to. Paul tries to go into the theater with them. And when he, when his disciples find out about this, when the people that were followers of Paul found out about this, they said, Paul, don't. Listen, they're going to kill you if you go in there. Don't do this. And they kept him from going in there. <clears throat> now, I want you to notice a few things uh, about this This effectual door that was open and this great door that was open but Paul said but there are many adversaries this is what he's speaking of this is the time frame he's pinning these words while he's here and these things are happening in his life he's got uh, Demetrius the silversmith is coming and and raising all manner of accusations against him and, and there's there's there certainly is opposition to the work that is going on now it's wonderful for you and I to understand that the work that God gives us is great And to know that the work that God gives us will be given His power and His blessing. And He'll be able to empower and strengthen us to do the work. But there will come opposition. The Bible says, Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're doing the work God's way, it's going to require there to be some time where people are not going to be happy with what we're doing. Satan is not going to be happy with what we're doing. What are we going to do when that time comes? Paul continues. Paul is steadfast. And the reason he's able to be steadfast is because he understands the greatness of the work. And he understands the fact that God is going to make the work effectual. With those two things in hand, Paul is able to endure. He makes mention here, as we get down to verse number 29, He says, and the whole city was filled with confusion. Verse 29 of Acts 19. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus. I want to stop for a moment here and I want to bring out a couple things here. Because Paul understood that the work was great and he knew that it was going to be effectual, there were a few things that it did for Paul. Number one, it tempered him and hardened him and allowed him to withstand in the evil day. We live in a day where we are we are very, very near. Being in a, in a place and in a society where you and I may have to suffer for our beliefs. We're getting closer by the day. There, knowing that's coming, there is a need for you and I to understand the greatness of God's work. And the fact that God will enable His work in order for you and I to remain steadfast in it. He's tempered. He's hardened. He's braced. He's steadfast in it. He also is seeking for the prayers of God's people. Knowing that the prayer of God's people brings more of God's power and God's aiding on this. But I want you to notice also that he surrounds himself with fellow laborers. Look in verse number 29. It talks about two men, Gaius and Aristarchus. Not a lot is known about these men. In fact, Aristarchus is only mentioned five times in Scripture. Five different verses and not a lot is said about him. But I'm going to tell you a, a little bit about him in just a moment. But the Bible says here in verse number 29 that these were Paul's companions. When it comes to Aristarchus, I'm not going to take time to... Uh, deal with Gaius, we'll do another message perhaps on Gaius at another time. But I do want to look at Aristarchus for a moment because he he intrigues me. Not much is said about him in Scripture, but there are some powerful things that are said about him just in way of passing. And here in Acts chapter 19, in verse number, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20 and verse number uh, 4, we find, or Acts chapter 19, verse number, I'm sorry, 29, we find the Bible says here that he was one of Paul's Companions. Look over again in chapter 20, verse number four, and we'll see it again. And there accompanied him into Asia, uh, Sopater of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus. And so again, we find these men are companions of Paul in his work. In Colossians chapter number four, in verse number ten, we find that Aristarchus is once again mentioned. And this time, he is known as a fellow prisoner with Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse number 24, we find Aristarchus mentioned again, and we find him there indicated as a fellow laborer with Paul. And while I want to encourage us this morning through the message that you and I ought be ready and willing to take a stand for God and to do His work, even if no one else is doing it, for us to recognize the greatness of the work and the effectual power of God to do the work, and it ought be enough to sustain us. But can I tell you this? The work gets so much easier if we have a faithful co-laborer to be alongside of us. I think that one of the secrets to Paul's later ministry in life is as he is surrounded by faithful men that encourage him along the way. I'm not saying that Paul would not have made it without them, but I believe that in the latter part of Paul's life, God graciously brings these people into Paul's life to sustain and to help him along the way, to encourage him along the way. I don't know about you, but there are times in God's work that that perhaps... Uh, there is some trial that comes our way. Uh, perhaps in dealing with the work of God, there are times that we get discouraged and downtrodden. There are times we look and say, boy, it just doesn't seem like God is doing much right now. And the temptation is, I'm going to stop. I, I'm just going to, you know, Jeremiah said it one time. He said, I, I decided I wasn't going to speak anymore in His name. But he said it was in my bones. It was shut up in me. It burned within my heart. Can I tell you this? While you and I need to be ready and willing to do God's work, if no one else is doing it, we will. How much easier it is if one or two more faithful people come alongside and shoulder the load and help us along the way. Paul said a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. What are you saying, Paul? I'm saying that we need to understand that the work is great and that God will make the work effectual. Or we're not going to be able to withstand the many adversaries. We will quickly succumb to the temptation of the flesh to say, I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm not going to speak anymore in His name. I, I may be out and around town and I may enter a conversation with someone and a door be opened to share the gospel. But I'm not going to speak it because the adversaries are great. Can I tell you, when we do that, every time we do that, it's a failure to realize the greatness of the work. And to realize that God will make the work effectual. Oh, that we would be able to be faithful and steadfast in our service to God. That we will take advantage of this effectual door that's been opened. This great work. And folks, I believe that we are given right now in the time that we live today. A brief window of opportunity. I believe God has opened a door and made it possible, made the fields, if it's even possible to do, made them even more ripe for the harvest. But we've got to do the work. I want to encourage us in that today, shall we? Let's stand together with heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. So many things that it teaches and it guides and directs us. Lord, we live in a day where Many people do not understand the idea of commitment. They do not understand the idea of faithfulness and steadfastness. Lord, we are so easily driven about by every wind of doctrine. We are so easily swayed. And Lord, I'm talking about even those that are in good, godly, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching churches. May You assist us in understanding this. May You bring it to our hearts And that there would be conviction of it. That we would quit relying upon our own understanding and our own strength, our own talents and our own gifts. And begin understanding the greatness of the work. And relying upon your effectual working in our lives to accomplish the work. Lord, may we in the day of trial, in the day of testing, in the day of persecution, be steadfast and faithful. I pray that You bless the invitation. Lord, if there's someone by way of listening today, either by the, by the live stream or here in our services, if there's someone here that does not know You as their Savior, I pray that You would help them to know and to understand today that You love them with all of Your heart, that You paid a price on Calvary by sending Your Son to die in their place to pay for that sin, and that by putting their faith and trust in You today and that shed blood on Calvary, that You are willing to forgive them of that sin and to give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. Lord, if there is someone like that, I pray that You'd help them to make that choice and that decision today to trust You as their Savior. The message has been primarily for Christians today, Lord, and I pray that Your Holy Spirit will work and move and guide in our lives. Bless the invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, and we'll have the pianist play through just a hymn of invitation. And if God's spoken to your heart, perhaps you'd come this morning. New business with God. If He's not spoken to your heart, perhaps you'd be praying for those and others that maybe He has.